Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Father, we come before you this morning. We stand upon your word in Psalm 40, where you said, Behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. And Father, as we come this morning to feed upon your word, we thank you that you come in the volume of the book. I'm asking you to minister to each and every one of us where we are in this moment of time. I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, that as the spirit of wisdom and revelation is being made manifest, I thank you that your people hear beyond my voice and hear the voice of the Master in their inner man, giving wisdom, direction, insight, inspiration, revelation. Father, we thank you for it, and we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I want you to go to two places this morning. Go to Matthew chapter 16, and also to 1 Peter Chapter 2, if you will, go ahead and look both of those up. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. And also to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are in the middle of a study. When I say the middle, I don't know how far the Lord's going to take it. But we are in a study of the discipleship of Peter. And we're looking at how God dealt with Peter and applying it to our life where discipleship is concerned. And uh, like I said, we've, we've already spent quite a bit of time on this passage, but we're going to use it as a springboard for where the Lord wants to take us this morning. And I've been waiting to share this for about three weeks, and the Lord's gone a different direction every time, but I, I have the permission of the Lord to go into this this morning. We're going to begin with verse 13. Cindy, would you turn me down just a little bit, please? <clears throat> verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, as we've, as we've already talked about, Jesus was telling him, you didn't get this through your five physical senses. You didn't get this through what you could see or touch or taste or smell or hear. You receive this by revelation from the Father. And as I've shared with you, the word Simon in the Greek or the Hebrew, both, both that word, that name means to hear. So Jesus was actually having a little play on words here because he was saying, Simon, hearing one, you have heard from the Father. You have heard from the Father, hearing one, therefore you are blessed. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, blessed art thou, hearing one, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, and I had you take note of the word also. If you haven't done that, please take note of it. I say unto thee also. That's a very important word because Jesus is telling Simon Peter, he's saying, you've received a revelation from the Father, now I'm going to add to it. The Father has told you something, now I'm going to add to what the Father has just said. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. As I've shared with you, the two thou arts are very important there. Jesus, uh, Peter spoke by revelation and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Yeah, well let me tell you this, thou art Peter. <laughs> I'm going to give you another revelation. Thou art Peter. In other words, you find out who Jesus is, you'll begin to find out who you are. Amen. I say also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I want to share some things with you about the name Peter. You don't need to write all this down, but I want you to pay attention because it's going to come up again, uh, come up again later. Some of it we've already talked about. But the word Peter there is the Greek word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S. Petros. It is in the masculine... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Gender. It is in the masculine gender of the Greek. Petros. I say also unto thee that thou art Petros. And as I've shared with you, that word refers to a solid individual rock. Now... I did some, some looking at this word last week, and it's kind of interesting because you, you need to hear this word in the Greek ear because he called him rock. If, if he were speaking in English, the, the, the closest thing in the English language would be, I am calling you rocky. Thou art rocky. And so years later, when Peter met Paul, he said, Hey, yo, Paulie. No. <laughs> no. I worked on that for days. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> hey, yo, Paulie. <laughs> Y'all will do that from now on, won't you? But his name... 
would have been rocky. Here's some things I want you to take note of, or at least be aware of. The name Petros, or Peter as we have in English, the name Petros was never used in the Greek language as a proper name until the Christian era. So the fact that Jesus, that Jesus did that, that was totally, I mean, it was totally brand new. Nobody had ever been named or even nicknamed Peter before that. He was the first. Isn't that interesting? And you have to realize Jesus is speaking by revelation. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And when you look at this word Petros, it is only translated Peter throughout the New Testament. Okay? You can look it up in your concordance. Um, it would be... <laughs> it would be like... See, we think of Peter as a common name. You may even know somebody named Peter. But it was so foreign to the Greek mind for somebody to be named Peter. It was just unheard of. And the only illustration I could think of, and this will date some of you. How many of you remember Fats Domino? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know he's still alive? I didn't know that. But just so you know, Fats is not his name. Okay? He didn't come out of the womb and mama say, hmm, you're fats. That's not what happened. And of course now, of course he was, you know, back in the late 40s, early 50s, up through into the 60s, he was very popular. And it was Fats Domino. Now his name is Domino. But his real name is Antonio. Did you know that? Antonio Domino. He was Creole. French Creole. But at some point, he got the nickname Fats. Now, like I said, we think of Peter as a, as a common name, as a proper name. But it would be like somebody a thousand years later digging through the archives somewhere, some excavation, and they come across this flat disc that has the name Fats on it. And they don't know what that word name, oh, Fats, I think that's a cool name. I'm going to name my kid Fats. And they have no idea what it means. And so it could become a proper name. And that's actually what happened with Peter. We've made a proper name out of it. But it was something that was absolutely, totally foreign. Now, Jesus said here in verse 18, He said, I say also unto thee that thou art... Petros, Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now the rock, we've talked about this, and I'm, I don't want to go into it right here, but obviously the fact that he changed the gender of it, and, and it became mass, uh, feminine gender, Petra, it's obvious that he's not talking about Peter being the foundation of the church. Okay? But the word Petra is a very, very interesting word because um, this word Petra, Petros refers to an individual rock. 
Petra refers to a huge, massive mountain or a huge, massive rock like the rock of Gibraltar. Jesus said, on this Petra, I will build my church. Now, for where we're headed later, I want you to just be aware of this. The word Petra is always, or say it this way, it is never translated as the word stone in the New Testament. It is always translated rock. Always. Now take note of that because it's going to come up again later. It is never translated as the word stone. It's always translated as the word rock. Now, Jesus said to him, I say also unto thee, I'm going to give you a revelation. I say also unto thee that thou art Petros. You're rocky. Now, that, that nickname refers to somebody that is solid and stable <laughs> and secure. And as we've talked about, you go through the Gospels, Peter was anything but that. He was emotion ruled. He was ruled by his temper. He was a very violent man. I mean, you could set Peter off just like that. He was high and happy one minute. He was mad at the world the next. That was Simon. And Jesus said by revelation, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. You are solid. You are stable. You are secure. In other words, what Jesus was saying to this man was, You are Simon in the natural you are unstable. You are emotion ruled. You lose your temper at the drop of a hat. You're high one minute, you're in the dumps the next. <clears throat> the absolute snapshot of a manic depressive, that was Simon. But Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Petros, you are solid, you are secure, you are stable. In other words, Jesus was saying, Simon, you may act this way, but heaven says you're this way. Now he goes on to tell him this in verse 19. <clears throat> he said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, here's how the kingdom works. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As I said to you, we've talked about this already. What Jesus was saying to him was this. Heaven says you're solid. Heaven says you're stable. Heaven says you're secure. Now, Simon, you can... Bind yourself to that identity and become that. Or you can loose yourself from that identity and stay Simon for the rest of your life. You have the choice. And as we talked about, nobody can force you to be a disciple. Discipleship is always self-imposed discipline. 
You have to make that decision. You have to make that choice. And Jesus was saying to Simon, Simon, you have a choice. You can walk in discipleship and become who who heaven says you are, or you can walk away and stay Simon from now on. Well, thank God we know Peter made the right choice. The thing that I want to bring to your attention is that when Jesus was addressing Simon Peter, Simon, for lack of a better term, Simon was, was uh, his flesh side. Warts and all. You know what I mean? <laughs> Simon was the flesh guy. But Peter was what heaven intended him to become. Now, the reason I want to bring this up, we're, we're going to get into this. All of us are Simon Peters. All of us have a flesh side. All of us have areas that we are dealing with. All of us have areas where we're messed up and we're working on. But I want you to know that's not your identity where heaven is concerned. Heaven has another identity. And in that identity, you become like Jesus. You become solid, stable. You become the person that God intended you to be. So, I want this in your thinking that all of us are Simon Peter. All of us, all of us have this dichotomy that we're working on. And all of us are desiring to become Peter. We're become, desiring to become what heaven wants us to be. Now, go with me to 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2. This event in Peter's life was something very profound to the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's just, we're going to go down through the 10th verse and read it, so let's just read together. Verse 1 <clears throat> says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking, all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone. Who's the living stone? Jesus is the living stone. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also. What Jesus say to Peter, I say also. So he's about to give a revelation here. You also, as living stones. Now, before we go any further, we're not going to go this route this morning, but I want you to be aware of this. He said, <clears throat> To whom coming as unto a living stone. Who is that? Jesus, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also, 
you're going to go through the same process. Rejection is part of walking with God. Not from God, but from men. Rejection is part of it. That's what he just said. Said Jesus, the living stone, was rejected by men, but chosen of God and precious, you also. If you're going to become like Jesus and you're going to become a living stone also, rejection by men is part of it. If you expect to win a popularity contest and be a believer, forget it. Or be a disciple, may I say. Just forget it. But I want to tell you, you may be rejected by men, but I want you to know you are chosen of God and precious. <laughs> Amen. Verse 4, To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, that's Jesus, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Greek text says, be ashamed or embarrassed. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders rejected, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, you're already seeing this, but where it says that Jesus was the stone. Peter uses stone here. Now you don't need to write all this down, but I want to just share a couple of things with you. That word stone in the Greek is lithos. L-I-T-H-O-S. Lithos. It is never translated rock in the New Testament. Now we go back to Petra. Petra is never translated stone. Lithos is never translated rock. So there has to be a difference <clears throat> between a stone and a rock, at least where the New Testament is concerned. So what is the difference between the two? Well, I did some praying about it and, and did some looking at Scripture. Let me just share this with you. A rock or a petra refers to strength, stability, and solidity. It refers to the nature of a rock that is stronger than men. 
In other words, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. You'll remember Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, He that hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man built his house upon the rock. The word Petra. So, the word Petra refers to the strength of the rock. That's stronger than men. But listen to the, the definition of a stone. A stone, on the other hand, refers to the nature of a rock as a tool or something useful in the hands of God or man. A stone on the other hand, refers to the nature of a rock as a tool or something useful in the hands of God or men. In other words, building blocks, stone tools, and so forth, they would be lithos. Alright. And here, particularly in verses 5 and 9, or verse 5 in particular, <coughs> says, And you also, as living lithos, are built up into a spiritual house. Part of becoming a disciple is becoming a useful stone in the hands of the Master. And you know, the Bible says Jesus was a carpenter. And when you look at that word in the Greek, it doesn't just refer to somebody that worked with wood. A, 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 a carpenter worked with everything. He was, he was good with wood. He was a stonemason. Anything you need built, anything you need done with whatever material, that Greek word for carpenter, that was Jesus. And so we are a lithos in the hands of the Master as He molds us and shapes us and prepares us and puts us together as a house. Okay? Now, notice here also, said you also as living lithos are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, in becoming a a stone that is useful to the master, it is directly connected to our priesthood. It's tied to our priesthood. In fact, the title of this message is Priesthood and Discipleship. So what I want to do is spend some time talking to you about the priesthood and the process of discipleship. Go with me <clears throat> to Exodus chapter 29. Everybody still with me? All still good? Everybody okay so far? Exodus chapter 29, Moses is being given instructions on inaugurating Aaron and his family into the priesthood. The Levites, as you know, was the, was the priestly tribe. 
And Aaron and his sons were the high priests. And Moses is receiving instruction on what needs to be done in order to inaugurate them into the priest's office. And so chapter 29, verse 1 says, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, to hallow them, or separate them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread and cakes unleavened, tempered with oil, and wafers unleavened, anointed with oil of wheat and flour, shalt thou make them. And thou shalt put them into one basket, and bring them in the basket with bullocks and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons Thou shalt bring in under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall wash them with water. Now, there's a lot in this, and we're not going to look at all of it. It's just, it's just too much. We could go, I mean, months on all of this. But one of the things that I want to bring to your attention, in the inauguration of the priesthood, one of the things that Moses was instructed to do, first of all, was to wash or bathe the priests. That was his responsibility. Now, it's important that you realize that the priests did not wash themselves. Look again in verse 4. It says, And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and, ha- and shall wash them with water. They did not wash themselves. Moses had to wash them. Don't you know that was a fun job? Moses had to wash them. Now why? Because this washing is a picture, first of all, of the new birth. We don't save ourselves. Isn't that right? Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is our Moses. When we come to Jesus and bow our knee and make Him Lord and Savior over our life, the Holy Ghost, yes, our spirit is recreated, but we are also washed and cleansed before God. But now notice here... After they're washed with water, it said, Thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod and thou shalt put the mitre upon his head and put the holy crown upon the mitre. The mitre, and then, thou, then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. Now, Notice that after he was washed, immediately he put on those priestly garments. Actually, Moses clothed them. He not only had to wash them, he had to dress them. (laughs) Clothed them with the priestly garments. Now what is that? That is now their new identity. And that's what Peter just said. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and so on. So they had to assume after they were washed, or 
for our terminology, after they were born again, they received the identity, the covering, the garments of the priesthood. Now, as you read down through here, notice here in verse 10, says, And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock, and thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt take the blood of the bullock and put it on the horns of the altar with thy finger, and finger and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. Now, again, there's a lot that we could go into, but I also want you to, what I want you to see is that in the preparation of the priesthood, they were washed, which is a picture of the new birth. They were clothed with the garments of priesthood, which speaks of spiritual identity. But the whole thing was based on sacrifice. Now, what does that point to? The cross. Without the cross, there is no new birth. Without the cross, there is no priesthood. Sacrifice was made, which points to the cross. We don't enter the kingdom of God, and we don't enter into our priesthood through any other avenue other than the sacrifice of Jesus. Isn't that right? And so Paul would write years later in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and say, for, for He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hence all the blood songs. <laughs> we are made priests because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now... <clears throat> As priests, their purpose, their destiny was in that tent. Their calling, the fulfillment of their calling was in that tabernacle. But if you've studied the tabernacle, it was not enough for them just to be clothed with the garments of priesthood. Well, I'm a priest. I'm, I'm clothed. I, I've been washed. And the sacrifice has been made. As we say it today, I've been born again. Well, we don't go bouncing into the tabernacle in our responsibilities, and neither did they. Because if you study the tabernacle, the tabernacle was divided into three parts. There was what was called the outer court. Then you had the tabernacle, which was divided into two parts. The holy place and the most holy place where the presence of God was. They couldn't just get dressed. It said that they were washed at the door of the tabernacle. They had priestly garments put on at the tabernacle. At the door of the tabernacle. In order to get to the tent... There were two articles of furniture before you got to the tent. One of them was called the brazen altar. Now when you begin to study the priesthood, go with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. 
Hebrews chapter 5, when you begin to study the priesthood, you begin to find out that those priests didn't just make sacrifice for the people. They had to make sacrifice for themselves first. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, watch, so also for himself to offer for sins. The priest had to offer for himself, not just the people. So before the priest could go into the tabernacle and fulfill his destiny, he had to make sacrifice. For what purpose? For, him, for his sins as well as the sins of the people. Now, what does that speak of for us? There is a very, well, I thought I had put it in the PowerPoint, but I didn't. You're right there in Hebrews. Go over to 1 John. You're all familiar with it. You could all probably quote it. We've talked about it so many times. <clears throat> Did any, has anybody in here ever sinned after you got saved? <clears throat> and the audience roars with laughter. <clears throat> what are you going to do? You're a priest of God. What are you going to do? Well, you're all familiar with this. 1 John 1.8 says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I mean, if I'd have said anybody in here, anybody in here sin after you get saved, and somebody said, Not me! You just did! You liar! <laughs> Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, we can go to Jesus, our faithful high priest. If we confess our sins, He is faithful, thank God, and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I missed it. I blew it. <laughs> it's me again, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I missed it. I blew it. But Lord, you said if I confess my sin, Lord, I confess unto you this sin. And you're faithful. And you're just. To forgive me and I receive my forgiveness. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I receive my forgiveness. And I receive... My cleansing. Thank God. 
But the brazen altar is not the only article of furniture in the outer court. Beyond the brazen altar is an article of furniture called the laver. The laver, we'll get, I'll get to a further description of it in just a second. The laver was just a big, huge, gigantic basin filled with water. Let me just read to you my notes here. The brazen altar represents the washing of the cross where we are cleansed from the unrighteousness of sin. The Bible is very clear that sin will separate us from God in fellowship. But when we confess to our faithful high priest, he not only forgives us, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In other words, whatever barriers that that sin made between me and the Father, Jesus is faithful and just to eradicate it because of that shed blood. So there is the washing of the cross that cleanses us from unrighteousness, that restores fellowship with the Father. As I've said to you before, when you sin, learn to repent on the move. Don't spend 30 days doing penance or, you know, stacking BBs in the corner or whatever you think will make you right with God. Confess it, get it out of the way. And move on with God. Receive your forgiveness. Receive your cleansing and move forward. But, in order to move forward, you have to now deal with the labor. Okay? I said to you that, that the brazen altar represents the washing of the cross. But when we come to the laver, the laver represents the work of the cross in cleansing us from the effect of sin. Now the brazen altar, when we confess our sin to Jesus, we are cleansed from the unrighteousness. But it takes the laver to cleanse us from the effect. One represents the washing of the cross, the other represents the work of the cross. The labor is where we decide to change. Okay? It's very important that you understand that God demands change. God demands growth. Did you know that? Years ago, I was listening to, a, listening to a message by Brother Copeland, and Carl was talking earlier about Kenneth E. Hagin. If you were ever around Kenneth Hagin, one of the things that became very, very apparent is that he and Jesus just hung out together. I mean, just a continual conversation all the time between him and the Lord. They just hung out. Brother Copeland noticed that, and he went to the Lord, and he said, Lord, he said, 
I want you to hang out with me the way you hang out with Brother Hagin. I, now you have to understand, Brother Copeland's in the ministry, national ministry. I mean, you know, just God was blessing him. But he said, Lord, I just, I don't have that fellowship with you that Brother Hagin has. He said, Lord, I know you love me. I know you care for me, but, but why don't you hang out with me like you hang out with Brother Hagin? And the Lord spoke to him and said, because I don't like you. Wasn't that a thrill? The Lord loves you. He said, Kenneth, I love you. But he said, I have no pleasure in you. I don't enjoy you. You're not a lot of fun. He said, you say and do things that contradict the love commandment. That contradict my nature. And he said, I love you and I care for you. But he said... I don't like to fellowship with you. And he said, I'm not going to walk with you. You've got to learn to walk with me. How can two walk together except they be agreed? He said, you've got to walk with me. In other words, Jesus was telling him, I'm not the one that needs to change, Hoss. You've got to change. <laughs> so he started making changes. And you make changes at the labor. You know, I've preached many, many years and preached I don't know how many messages on 1 John 1, 9. The fact that we are restored to fellowship with the Lord through the blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus. And He is our faithful high priest. And we're cleansed from, un from unrighteousness and we're restored to fellowship with the Father. But there is another side to it. We have preached so much about the fact that Jesus is our high priest and we can be cleansed from sin that for many people, they have the idea, well, <clears throat> the Lord loves me just like I am. And so we sing the song, just as I am. How many of you know that when you come to the Lord, He's not going to leave you like you am? He's going to demand change. Because He wants to not only just love you, but like you. And fellowship with you. And hang out with you. But it requires what on our part? Commitment to discipleship. And so we come to the laver. Now the laver <clears throat> is, as I said to you, represents the work of the cross. You see, the cross has a twofold, twofold aspect to it. There is justification or righteousness where uh, we're cleansed by the blood. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank God for that. There is justification by the cross. But let me tell you, my brother and sister, there is also sanctification by the cross. God wants to raise up a holy people. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that demands change. Now, let's talk here for just a moment about the laver. Go back with me, please, to the book of Exodus. 
How long have I been going? Oh, okay, okay, good. Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. Moses receives instruction on the building of the labor. Now, remember, the priest has to go to the brazen altar. And he has to go to the labor before, labor before he can fulfill his purpose in the tabernacle. Alright, verse 18. says, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. I'll come back to that. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, the thing that's interesting about the laver, the material that was used to make the laver in Exodus 38.8 says, And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It was made out of all the women's mirrors. Isn't that interesting? So when they went to the laver, they began to see themselves in that laver. And as they approached the laver, they would see themselves in that laver. They would see themselves in that water. They would see the reflection of themselves. And as they looked at themselves, they would see two things. They would see their face and their hands. They would see their flesh. But they would also see the priestly garments. So they would see, like we were talking about earlier, they would see the dichotomy. They would see Simon Peter. They would see all of the aspects of their flesh. Take notes. Technology's a wonderful thing. At least the computer is listening. All right. She didn't catch it. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, they would see that dichotomy of Simon Peter. Now, what does that speak of? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, amen. And <laughs> Are you having a praise fit back there? <laughs> Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That labor speaks of the washing of the water of the word. So when you come to the Word, you're going to see Simon Peter. You're going to see your flesh, warts and all. Husbands, love your wives. (laughs) You're going to see warts and all, but you're also going to see yourself in those priestly garments. And as you spend time in the Word, then you wash yourself, and the work of the cross begins to take effect. Through what? Through The cleansing of the Word. Now, this is interesting. You'll notice here, you still in Exodus 30? Okay. Notice here in verse 19, says, For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Wash what? Their hands and their feet. Go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 5. This is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It says, And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou, shalt, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. And this is referring to Judas. But did you notice, did you notice in this that Jesus only washed their feet? The Old Testament priest had to wash his hands. And his feet. That bugged me. I couldn't figure that out. I really had to do some praying about this one. And do some looking. Why is it. That. The Old Testament priest. Had to wash their hands and their feet. And we only. Have to wash our feet. I found a scripture. In Psalm 26. Verse 6 says, I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. What is the opposite of innocence? Guilt. 
guilt. In the Old Testament, you're going to like this. In the Old Testament, they had the animal sacrifices. And the blood would cover the sins for a year and had to repeat, be repeated every year. The blood of bulls and goats, the Bible, book of Hebrews says, could never wipe away sin. And it could never wipe away guilt. So when the priest would come to wash, he would have to wash his hands and his feet. Because the blood of bulls and goats was never enough to take away the guilt. And when I was sharing this with Cindy, she reminded me of Pilate. I wash my hands. I am innocent of the blood of this man. You remember that? But when we come into the New Testament, the blood that was shed for us was not the blood of bulls or goats, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that not only wipes away sin, but wipes away the guilt. We don't need to have our hands washed because the blood of Jesus removes all guilt. And all stain. And as I've shared with you many, many times, Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. King James says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You cannot find that in any Greek text on earth. It says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Period. End of sentence. Why? Because the removal of that guilt is unconditional. But as we go through life, we do need to be cleansed in our walk. How can two walk together except they be agreed? So Jesus doesn't need to wash our hands. He only has to wash our feet. Now, since there is now, therefore, no condemnation, when correction comes, listen to the difference. When correction comes, it will always be based on what God sees. In other words, uh, if... Let's say, I, I am the Father, and Belinda has sinned. <laughs> and so, as the Father, I'm going to bring correction. Now, since there is no condemnation when I correct her, now Belinda, listen to, listen to what I'm saying. Now Belinda, you're better than this. You're more than this. You know it. And yeah, you missed it. You blew it. Pay attention. What you just did is not who you are. This is not who you are. You know who you are. Now, turn your back on that and move forward. You get the difference? Watch. Versus condemnation. You stupid moron. 
You stupid dog. I can't believe how stupid you really are. Really. This, you, what you just did was the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and I've been on the throne a long time. <laughs> now, what's the difference? Condemnation. What's, what's, what's the difference? The second part, I insulted her character. You are this. You are that. That's condemnation. The first part doesn't condemn. This is not who you are. Mm, no. No. Do what? It's loving. Correction will come, but it is never with condemnation. You're better than this. You're my child. I love you. Let's get rid of this and let's move forward. You see the difference? All right, one last thing and I'm done. Go to Revelation 19. And I'll end on a controversial note. <clears throat> Revelation 19. And after I get through here in about the next five minutes, some of you may never come back ever again. <laughs> Because I'm about to kick over your theology, particularly if you're Baptist. Alright? Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Now, let's go back to what we read in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse, or that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Who is that? That's the bride. Right? It's the preparation of the bride that comes through the washing of the word. All right? says, the Lamb is come, verse 7, and his wife hath made herself ready. How do you make yourself ready? Go to the labor. Verse 8, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Take note of that phrase. The righteousness of saints, sanctified ones. You need to realize there is a distinction between the righteousness of God and the righteousness of saints. The righteousness of God is through the sacrifice of Jesus. But the righteousness of saints is in our daily walk as we cleanse at the labor. And the wife hath made herself ready. Ready for what? Coming of the Lord. Now, I've said this to you before, and I can prove it on paper, and I don't have time, but I do have CDs for sale. It is commonly taught, particularly in Baptist Calvinistic theology, and a lot of Calvin I agree with, but it is commonly taught, well, once you're born again, if you're born again, you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're going into rapture. You got it made, baby. You got your ticket. You're going. You're leaving. 
part of that is built on a wrong premise. Because it is taught that, first of all, that the church is preventing the Antichrist, so it's got to be moved out of the way. Or that the Holy Ghost is preventing the Antichrist, and he's got to be removed out of the way. And that's neither one is what's preventing the Antichrist. And no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to go back and get a CD. But that's the premise. Well, if the church is preventing the Antichrist, then the church has got to be taken out. That means everybody that's born again is going to be raptured and taken out. Question. If everybody that's going to be born, that's born again is going to be raptured out and taken out in the rapture, then why are we commanded over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures to watch, be looking, be prepared, and be ready. If everybody that's born again is going to be taken out, it would be automatic. We wouldn't have to watch for anything. Am I messing with you? Now, what, who's going to be raptured? The bride. Who's the bride? They've made themselves ready. They've made themselves ready. Now, don't hear that wrongly. Becoming part of the bride doesn't mean there's this certain level of spirituality, this certain standard, and once you get it, then you get to go into rapture. That's not it. Becoming part of the bride is simply pursuing God on a daily basis and walking in all the light that you have and watching for His coming. A person that's born again, five minutes after they're born again, can go in the rapture because they, they're walking in all the light they have. You follow that? Did I mess with you? I lost some of you right then. I, I know it. I just, I can feel it. Just right in the spirit. Just shut the door. Lock it. Let's, let's go. Let's, we, we're not coming back there, Myrtle. No. Well, it'll give you something to think about anyway. But if we're going to fulfill our destiny as priests, we have to go through those two areas. Go to the altar where the blood is shed and go to the labor of the Word where we're cleansed. And once you've done that, then you go beyond into the, go beyond that, actually the second veil, into the, the holy place where you minister as a priest unto God first veil is in the outer court it's the fence the second veil goes into the priestly ministry third veil is into the holy of holies but we have to go through those two articles deal with simon father thank you i thank you that you are completely totally committed to us Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. And Father, I thank you that for all of us, that we go to the altar when we've missed it. We go to the labor of the Word for daily cleansing. I thank you that you're molding and shaping each and every one of us, that we can become lithos stones put where God wants us to be. We thank you.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be here this morning. I want to do two things. I don't do this unless the Lord impresses me too, but I want to do two things. In my own head, in my own mind, I'm, I'm certain that, fairly certain that everybody in this room is born again. You've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. But I want to, if, after a message like this morning, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to open the door. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask, is there anybody here this morning that after hearing a message like what you just heard, you realize, I've never really received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never, I know that I'm not a child of God. I'm not a priest of God. I haven't come into the kingdom. And you're here this morning, and you realize, I want to do that. I want to, I want to become what God wants me to be. I want to become a child of God. I want to be born again. And you've never, you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity. And I want you to begin. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm trying to make a spectacle. But what I want to do is lead you in prayer and pray for you. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask just for you to just raise your hand. And I want to pray with you and pray for you. Anybody at all. Like I said, I'm, I'm fairly convinced in my own mind that everyone here is born again. But I want to give that opportunity. Anyone at all. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. All right. Number two. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? There's some things I need to have fixed. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. But there's some areas that, that are just totally messed up in my life. And I want to make it right this morning. I want to, I want to bring things into divine order. Well, I want to open the door to that brazen altar. If you're here this morning, you say, I'm born again. And I know Jesus, but I got some things I need to fix. If that's you this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Okay, I see that one. I see that one. See that one? Okay. All right. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want everybody to pray this. So just pray this after me. Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I realize this morning it's time for a change. And the only way to make a change is by decision. So I come before you. And according to 1 John 1 9, you've provided a way, you've provided means for change. And the first step in the process is the brazen altar. So, Lord Jesus, I come before you now as my priest, my high priest. You said in your word that if I confess my sin, 
that you're faithful. You are faithful and you are righteous to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I come before you now and I exercise my part of that verse. I confess unto you. Wherever you've missed it, wherever you've blown it, whatever whatever is coming to your mind, just between you and God, confess that thing to the Lord. Confess it to Him. Spit it out of your mouth and separate yourself from it. Because that's not who you are. Settle that. That is not who you are. And don't let another human being ever tell you that's who you are. That's not who you are. Now pray this after me. So Lord, as I confess this to you, I separate myself from it. And I thank you that by the shedding of your blood, it is wiped out. It is removed. Not just the sin, but also the guilt. And I thank you Not only am I cleansed from sin, not only am I forgiven, but I'm cleansed from unrighteousness and I'm cleansed from guilt. And from this moment forward, I refuse to hear one word of condemnation, either from the devil directly or another human being. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am cleansed and I am in fellowship with my Father. Now, Father, I come before you and I make the decision to move toward the labor. I'm going toward your word and I thank you that as I do that, you're going to show me what I need to do and how I need to do it in order to change. Because what I just did, what I've just removed from my life, is not who I am. I am your child. I am a priest of the Most High God. I am becoming Peter because that's who heaven says I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. First of all, I pray over the the tithes and offerings of your people this morning. Father, there's so much involved in the harvest. So much that is available. And we receive the blessing of the harvest into our lives and I pray over your people in the sowing of the seed that the blessing of the harvest come into their life but most of all father in that harvest I ask you that wisdom be made manifest in their life because wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom with all thy getting get understanding I thank you for your delivering power I thank you 
in Jesus' name for your people. Now stand with me, please. I'll pronounce the blessing of God over you, and we will be dismissed. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.